I wanted to uh, start this morning by sharing a story with you that I heard recently. Um, uh, it's a story, I'm pretty sure it's a, uh, it's a fictional story, but the, the backdrop for the story is, um, uh, would be a carnival similar to the ones that kind of used to travel through um, small town America in times past. So, so the story goes like this. It says, uh, each carnival had its strongman, but the one that came to this little town in Oklahoma featured the strongest man in the world. To demonstrate the power of his grip, the barker would cut a lemon in half and give it to the strongman, and with his left hand, he would squeeze every drop of moisture out of it. The barker would then work the crowd to sell tickets for the rest of the performance inside the tent, and as an additional come on, he said the carnival would pay anyone from the audience $25 for every drop of juice that person could squeeze from the lemon. This attention getter attracted the the usual run of local talent, but none of them was successful. Then a small, nondescript man asked if he might try. Using only his thumb and two fingers of one hand, he squeezed three additional drops of juice from that lemon half. As the amazed carnival barker paid him his $75, he asked for the secret of his ability. The man replied, I've been the treasurer in our church for 25 years, and compared to trying to squeeze money out of reluctant members for the budget, that lemon was easy. (laughs) Kind of an interesting story there. (laughs) The the reason I begin with that story this morning is uh, we've kind of come to a shift in 2 Corinthians. We've come to a shift in, in what Paul was writing in his letter. Um, the first seven chapters of the letter, Paul, Paul's been, uh, he's been validating, he's been, been defending his uh, apostolic ministry. Well, in chapters eight and nine, he shifts gears and, and he, he focuses on a, a financial collection being made for the impoverished believers of the Jerusalem church. And so we're going to spend uh, the next three weeks studying these two uh, chapters. And so in many ways, we've, we've kind of come to a, a mini-sermon series within the sermon series. These next three weeks, we'll focus on giving, as Paul highlights in chapters 8 and 9. Now, now regarding that story that I just told, perhaps it unfairly uh, points the finger at, at churchgoers of this hypothetical church, um, I, I would argue that people outside of the church are, are, are just as protective of their money, maybe as reluctant to give their money as people in the church might be, but, but I also think that that's part of the problem. I, I think the fact that there's any truth to that story at all probably ought to make us hang our heads just a little bit. Uh, you know, as we're going to see in these next two chapters, um, Churches ought not be filled with reluctant givers who have to be coerced and squeezed like a lemon. Right? The, the church ought to be filled with generous and, and wise and, and joyful givers. And, and the next three weeks, we're, we're going to hopefully be challenged by each one of those three adjectives, generous, wise, and joyful. We'll see how Paul brings that up in his writing to the church. So as we get into things this morning, um, 
You know, I've kind of already said that this topic is being addressed because these are the next chapters in 2 Corinthians. Um, this isn't an attempt to drive up giving for EBC. Um, in fact, the elders have shared over the past, uh, past few months how, how God has worked things out so that our spending has been right in line with our giving. And we have praised God for that. We continue to praise God for how he has saw us through these, these trying times, especially, that we're in right now. Um, and I also realize that, uh, that in some ways this may seem like an absolutely terrible time to talk about financial giving. Right? Unemployment rates in our country are, are, are as high as they've been in a long time. And I, I'm not trying to turn a blind eye to that fact in any way. Um, as we'll see Paul say to the church in Corinth, really that type of situation isn't the reason to cease giving. Again, as, and, and Paul's going to get into that. But, uh, but I don't want to turn a blind eye to that. And, and also, uh, I realize there's always a bit of conflict of interest when the pastor who's paid by the church talks about giving. I, I realize that. Um, but, but I want you to know my heart this morning that, that it, is, it is for us as a church body that we would experience all that Paul talks about regarding this grace of God flowing to us, flowing through us, by way of our giving. And, and the words I speak this morning are to me as much as anybody else. And so, so I want you to know my, my heart in that. Um, but enough with the disclaimers. Let's, uh, let's see what Paul has to say this morning about giving. And, and the, the adjective for this morning is, is generously. So um, if you look at the sermon notes, you'll, you'll see the passage runs uh, verse, uh, verses 1 through 15 of chapter 8. We're actually starting with verse 9, and it's not a typo. I know Kim is still out of town, and we're trying to make things work in the church office, but it's not a typo. We really are going to start with verse 9. And the reason for that is because in that verse, Paul explicitly states what, what, I, think, what I think forms the foundation for everything that he's going to communicate to the church in these next few chapters. Before we dive into the specifics of giving, it's imperative that we start with what has to be the foundation of our giving, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look with me at verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. One, one way to think about the gospel of Jesus is to think about the incredible way in which he gave of himself, both in becoming human and also in, in offering his life upon the cross for you and me. This is the picture which Paul is drawing upon as the bedrock for everything else that he's gonna say in these chapters. You know, you look at Paul's testimony in uh, Philippians chapter 2. He talks about how Jesus, um, who is God himself, emptied himself and, and took the form of a servant in becoming human, and he was obedient in giving his life upon the cross. And so we have to be clear right off the bat that no other act of giving will ever surpass that. 
It just won't. No one will ever start out so high as Jesus, and no one will ever stoop down so low as Jesus did. So there will never be an act of giving that matches what Jesus has done for us. The, the exalted one of the universe humbled himself. He humbled himself. The, the glorified one in the heavens emptied himself. The, the, the worshiped one in, in all creation became despised and rejected. The, the all-powerful one became weak and you know we, we could come up with, with statement after statement there. And in the midst of that incredible act of giving himself, Paul, Paul I think, rightly draws our attention to the fact that, that we are the recipients of the benefit of that. We are the recipients of the benefit. Paul says, for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Paul's saying, not only was there this incredible act of giving that took place, he's saying, Corinthians, you are the recipients of the benefit of that, and we would be included in that as well. We are the recipients of this incredible act of Jesus Christ. Our salvation through Jesus has removed from us the poverty of sin and, and placed us in the riches of righteousness. Everything that we have is a gracious gift of God. Everything we have. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, we, we have nothing. Not sure we might accumulate some things here in this life, but upon our death, it's all going to be given to somebody else. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, we have nothing. And so our, our, our conversation, uh, the rest of this morning and in the, the two weeks that follow, that, man, they have to take place upon that foundation. Our giving must flow out of this reality that the Son of God became poor for our sake. It has to all be built on that. So that's why I started with verse 9, because it's just stated so well. And, and while the example of, <clears throat> of Jesus is, is the ultimate example, I think, of generous giving, um, it's not the only example that Paul mentions in this passage. So let's go back to verse 1, and we will start there and see what Paul says about another example. He says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So there's really, I would say, just in those uh, five verses, there is so much to be encouraged by and, and challenged by regarding the, the giving that was seen in this group of Macedonian churches. So if we just go down through those verses, the first thing that we see is that their giving was an act of God's grace in them. 
I would argue that, that God's grace in their life was seen both in their ability to give and in their, uh, in their desire to give as well. So God is God's the sovereign one. He's, he's sovereign over all creation. He's the creator. He's the ruler. He's, he's the owner of everything. And as the owner of everything, we're, we are nothing more than stewards. We are stewards of, of all that he has given us in this life. That, that's a principle that, that Jesus referred to numerous times in, in his teaching. And so as a result, the, the, the fact that we have anything at all to share with others is a gift of God's grace in our lives. It truly is. I know it can be difficult to think that way, isn't it? I mean, when we see our name on the paycheck, um, when, when we think about the energy that we put into working the job to earn the money, um, when, when we pay the taxes to the government, right, it, it, it feels a lot like that's ours. But apart from the grace of God, we wouldn't have the time, we wouldn't have the energy, we wouldn't have the ability, we wouldn't have the opportunity to earn that paycheck. It's all a gift from God. It's all a measure of his grace poured out into our lives. And so that's true of the Macedonians. That's, that's true of us as well. The fact they have anything to give is because of God's grace. And then the fact that they have the desire to give that Paul talks about here, again, that's a gift of God's grace in their life. It's the gospel working in their hearts the gospel at work uh, that, that drove them to give financially to the believers in Jerusalem. If it weren't for the gospel, they, they probably couldn't have cared less about people halfway across the known world. But they did because of the gospel working in them. As the grace of God was poured upon them, as they became new creations through God's power and his work, they were led to give in a generous fashion. So we see God's grace at work in them. We also see that that happened in the midst of affliction and poverty as well. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly what types of affliction the church has faced. Um, you know, we can read through the letters that Paul wrote um, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Thessalonica. Those were two Macedonian churches. We could maybe try and piece some things together from those letters. Um, but the, at the end of the day, the details really aren't that important. What's important is that the churches didn't allow their situation to nullify their giving. They, their, their afflictions didn't become an excuse. Their, their poverty didn't become an excuse. How often have we said in our minds, or, or maybe even said out loud as well, that we'll give to those in need once our situation improves just a little bit? Right? Have, we ever, have we ever said something like that? You know, once, I, once I pay off the car loan, then I'll be able to, to give to somebody in need. Or once I get that raise at work, or once my health is a little bit better, then, then I'll be able to do that. Um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can always come up with a reason why it's not the right time, right? I mean, we can always come up with something. We're, in this life, everything is not gonna be perfect. There's always a reason we could come up with. I think we ought to be challenged by these Macedonian churches whose extreme poverty, as Paul said it, overflowed into a wealth of generosity. 
uh, it just it reminded me back to um, uh, the passage that, that was read this morning with Jesus sitting, sitting in the temple. He, he's watching the people bring their gifts into the temple, so the, the rich as well as the poor widow. Imagine if the widow had woke up that morning and, and just decided that because of her extreme poverty, she really didn't have anything to give. And we would look at her situation and probably say she didn't have anything to give. I mean, Jesus said she put everything in that she had to live on. I don't think any of us would have faulted her for saying, you've got a penny, you can go buy a loaf of bread to eat. I think we would have been okay with that. But it was, it was her poverty which provided the, the situation that highlighted the attitude that Jesus pointed out to his disciples that he praised before his disciples. Uh, affliction, poverty, they don't, they don't negate our ability to give. I, I would say on the contrary, they might perhaps provide the opportunity for, for a deeper work of God's grace in our lives through our continued giving in the midst of, of that type of situation. And, and along those lines, we also see that, that the giving of the Macedonians was sacrificial as well. So, so not only did they give generously out of their poverty, but, but Paul says they did so beyond their means. They gave beyond their means. So I, I don't think that means they went out and borrowed money so that they could give. I don't, I don't think they put it on the credit card having no ability or intention to ever pay it back. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here, that... What he's saying is that, that, the, that the giving that they were participating in, it would have forced them to make a sacrifice of some kind. It wasn't that just that they gave the excess that they have, however little or much that would have been, that they sacrificed in their giving. Something along the lines of, of giving away the grocery money for the next week, not quite sure knowing where the meals will come from. That, that type of of giving. They, they so cared for and, and loved the believers in Jerusalem, whom they probably had never met and never would meet. They so loved them because of the gospel that they sacrificed their own well-being in order to meet the needs of those believers. I mean, that, this truly is an incredible picture that, that Paul is painting of what took place. He continues on, verse four, that this act of giving came from a, a strong desire within the Macedonians. It wasn't as if Paul came into town and, and, and preached this incredible sermon and so guilted them into giving that they kind of just had no choice. You know, Paul didn't lock the doors in the back and say, we're not leaving until this offering plate is full. You know, he didn't do that. It, it was, it was a, a free desire on the part of the Macedonians. I mean, verse four says that the church had to beg Paul to take the money. <laughs> they had to beg Paul to take the money. It seems like Paul was against it because he knew they were in poverty and he knew that they were giving beyond their means, but they begged him to take it. That's incredible, isn't it? I think the reason the church begged Paul to take the money is because they, they wanted to participate in this act of grace that was shown to the Jerusalem believers. They valued God's grace flowing through them more than they valued the physical things. You know, they, uh, more than they valued, I think, even their own well-being, as Paul talks about giving beyond their means. And you know, that's, that's a message that flies in the face of the, of the cultural narrative of our time, I think. 
You know, it's a message that the American church probably needs to hear, caring about the needs of others more than our own, more than our own well-being. When was the last time we begged someone to take our money? And not money that we already owed them, but but an act of giving. When's the last time we begged them to take it? When was the last time I was so excited to give to someone in need that I just couldn't hardly contain myself? That nothing was going to stop me. I mean, that, that's, that's the desire that we see within the Macedonian churches here. And, and then finally, I, you know, I, I think it all makes sense when you get to verse five. This act of giving took place, first and foremost, because the, the believers devoted themselves to the Lord. In fact, it, I think it seems by the wording here that the church rightly believed that they were giving of themselves to God over and above giving to other people, to the believers in Jerusalem. They viewed it as an act of worship to God. They viewed it as giving to God first and foremost. And then by extension, it was going to others. It, it, it's almost as if they took Jesus' words in Matthew 25 literally when Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. I mean, that, that's the indication that we get here. You know, heaven forbid we take Jesus' words literally, right? That they're doing that. They're seeing it as, as worship of God, first and foremost. It's what drove this act that, that Paul talks about. You know, if, if uh, it's kind of interesting. I think if, if, if Jesus were to stand before us this morning, um, each one, if he were to stand before each one of us and ask us to borrow $20, I think each and every one of us would give it to him. And if we didn't have it, I think we'd figure it out. We'd find $20. We'd borrow it from somebody else to give to Jesus, right? I think we would do that if Jesus asked us for it. But what if someone else made that request? Maybe even someone who's a stranger to us. Now, I realize there's a level of trust we probably have with Jesus that we maybe don't have with somebody else, especially a stranger who we don't know. Um, Jesus has never tried to con us. You know, other people have, right? And, and, and we'll talk about that next week when we talk about being wise givers. But, but we get the point, right? I, I think we would be joyful and ready to give to Jesus, but to others, maybe not quite so much. And, and again, I, I say that about myself first and foremost. We ought to respond to other people in need with the same compassion we'd show Jesus if he were standing before us, making the request himself. Macedonians gave generously. They gave beyond their means, even in the midst of poverty, because they were giving themselves first and foremost to God. As I said, nothing is going to match the, the, the giving of Jesus. But you look at this picture, and I see why Paul presented it to the churches in Corinth to say this is incredible. <laughs> and again, this is God working through the Macedonians. He's not saying the Macedonians deserve all the credit, that it's all them. It's God's grace flowing through them. But he holds it up to the church to challenge them. And, and then that's, that's what he does. Verse six is when he transitions from talking about the churches there to say, okay, church here, church in Corinth, what are you going to do? So follow along with me in verse six. 
Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So, so Paul b- begins his challenge to the church in Corinth by reminding them of the promise that they had made regarding their giving. Um, we kind of get a hint of this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul had already told them about the collection that he was making, uh, that he was taking up for the, the believers in Jerusalem. Apparently the church in Corinth was eager to participate when they first heard about this collection. But it, it, it seems that in the midst of all the rockiness within the church uh, that, that, that Paul had already addressed, that, that their eagerness waned somewhere in there. They lost sight of, of the promise that they had made to give. And so in verses 6 and 10 and 11, Paul's challenging them to, to get back to it, to carry out the pledge that they had made. Um, it's clear, I think, in this that the desire to give and the act of giving are two different things. They, they should go together, but, but they are two separate things. A desire to be generous in giving is a positive thing. But that desire doesn't do much good if the act doesn't follow, right? It's great to desire to be generous, but what Paul's saying is, well, that desiring isn't doing anything. You need to finish the act. You need to carry out that desire. And I think as, you know, as we examine Paul's challenge to the Corinthian believers this morning, we ought to let those words challenge us at the same time. Perhaps we've had the desire to, to give generously for quite some time. And, and, and again, that, that desire is good, but it also doesn't mean much if we haven't carried it through to completion. So I would say if, if you've if you've always had that desire to be a generous giver, you've always wanted to be a generous giver but not actually done it, I would say the challenge is pretty simple. Do it. Just do it. Give that generous gift, whatever the situation is. Finish, complete the work, as Paul says here. Just see what God does. You know, just take that step. See what happens. I think that's what Paul's encouraging the church here. You, you, you want to, you have the desire, and just do it. Just go ahead and carry that through to completion. See how God's grace flows through that. And, and 
Paul also in this challenges the church to continue growing through giving. I think uh, to me this might be the, uh, the challenge that, that, that strikes me, I guess, the deepest, how Paul words this here. He challenges them to continue growing, not, not growing in numbers necessarily through their giving, but growing in discipleship. He, he commends the church for, uh, he commends the church for their faith, their speech, their knowledge, their earnestness, their love. Now he challenges them to excel in their giving as well. I think if, if we disconnect our giving from our spiritual growth and from our discipleship, then we are mistaken that those two aren't supposed to be separated. I think that's what Paul's communicating here. Paul doesn't discredit the church's growth in those other areas, faith, love, earnestness, but, but he does point out this other area in which he seems to say that they are weak, that they need to grow in this area. Uh, generous giving is it's a matter of discipleship it's a matter of discipleship I would say it's not it's not like uh, you know if we think about school it's not like extra credit that the teacher offers at the end of the term and if you do it you know good it helps your grade and if not well you're okay it doesn't really hurt you you know nothing lost I, I don't think we can view giving that way I think giving is part of discipleship as Paul tells us here Giving is an area of discipleship we will be held accountable for as we stand before God someday. And again, this has nothing to do with earning salvation. It has to do with living out what God is doing within us. And, and you know, not trying to stir up guilt here. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in verse eight. But, but I do want to point out that I, I, generous giving is a mark of discipleship in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be a, a four-figure, five-figure, six-figure gift. That, that's not what we're talking about. Generosity looks very different in different situations. But generosity in giving is a mark of discipleship. Jesus generously gave of himself to us. I, I don't think we can phrase that any other way. It was a very generous gift that Jesus gave to us. And if we're to be his followers, then, then we are to live that out as well. We are to be generous as he is generous. Uh, but talking about guilt, right, twisting our arm, Paul, Paul notes in verse 8, he's, he's not trying to guilt them into anything. He's not trying to force them to participate. He wants them to do it willingly. The, the, he, the, their act of love ought to be genuine, not, not coerced is what he's getting at. Paul doesn't specify an amount. He doesn't specify a percentage that the church ought to be required to give. Um, I think if we start doing that kind of thing, the money given ceases to be a gift and it becomes more like a tax. We all know how fun taxes are, right? That's not what it's, that's not what it's meant to be about. And Paul doesn't turn it into that. He says it ought, to, it ought to be free. It ought to be a free gift that, that we give joyfully. That's what we'll talk about in the third week. So I'm not going to stand up here and say this amount ought to be given by each one of us or this percentage ought to be given by each one of us. Um, I will say I think we ought to give something. I think that's a mark of discipleship. But, uh, but the amount, the percentage, I mean, that, that's between you and God. That's between me and God, or you and your spouse and God. You know, what's he leading us to do? What's he, what's he equipping us to do? What's he asking us to step out in faith and do? 
I think to specify an amount or a percentage really just sucks the joy out of all of it. And, and again, we'll, we'll get into joy coming up in chapter nine. And, and along those lines, Paul, Paul challenged them in verse uh, 12 to focus on their attitudes, focus more on their attitudes than the amount that was given. Uh, the Corinthian church probably could have given a gift that required very little sacrifice on their part and blown the gift of the Macedonian churches out of the water when you just think about dollar amount. The, the, the church in Corinth, it seems, was fairly well off. Probably wouldn't have taken them much to surpass the gift of the Macedonians. But Paul encourages them to focus on attitude more than amount. And it goes the other way as well. The church in Corinth maybe could have been depressed that the gift wasn't as big as they wanted it to be. They, they maybe, when they first heard about this collection, had grand visions of what they were going to do as a church, and maybe it didn't quite pan out that way. Maybe a pandemic hit, right, and a bunch of people lost their jobs. I mean, I, I mean, it can go the other way. We can focus on the amount being much smaller than we think it ought to be. And what Paul says is, no, it's the attitude. Attitude is more important than the amount. And again, you, we see that in, in the, the story with Jesus, right, sitting in the temple. The attitude of the widow was what Jesus focused on, that sacrificial attitude that she gave everything that she had. You know, uh, I think the minute that we begin comparing our giving to someone else in terms of dollar amount, we've missed the point. And I think the other, it's, it goes the other way too. The minute we become ashamed of our giving because of the dollar amount, we've missed the point as well. Paul says it's the attitude. He, he, he desires the church to be ready and willing to give according to what they have, according to what grace God has given them in their lives as opposed to what they don't have. We can always look at the money we don't have and wish that we had it so that we could give more. Paul says, what about our attitude regarding what we do have? And then, and then finally, Paul challenges the church to prioritize the needs of others over their own excess. The needs of others over their own excess. They, they, they were experiencing a time of abundance while the church in Jerusalem was experiencing a time of poverty. Uh, the church in Corinth could have felt entitled to their excess. They could have said, well, the believers in Jerusalem, they don't really deserve our excess. Um, Paul challenged them instead to, to willingly and generously give of their abundance to those who needed it. And, uh, you know, I, we gotta be honest with ourselves. The American church has been blessed with an abundance I mean, you know, if we deny that statement, our head is probably in the sand. I mean, we, we've been blessed with so much here in America. We need to be caring for those among our local body who find themselves in need. We need to be caring for those among the larger church body who find themselves in need. And we need to be caring for those outside of the church body who find themselves in need. And I know that sounds like a big task because that's everybody that's in need. There's nobody that's left out of those statements. But God owns it all, right? God is, a, 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 is the sovereign God over everything and, and he, he can meet any need that he sees fit. And he will meet every need that he sees fit to meet. How awesome is it that he chooses to do it through his people quite often? 
that he chooses to not just impart his grace onto the one who is in need, but that it goes first through somebody else and then to the one in need. It's really cool, I think, how he's, how he's set that up, but, but we have to prioritize meeting needs over our own excess. Otherwise, the grace will always stop. It won't flow to the one that's in need. Now, there's a lot in there. I know that that sermon outline was kind of long. I know money is a touchy subject. Um, it's not, not my favorite thing to talk about, and we get two more weeks of it after, after this morning. But, uh, but as I said, I, th- this is an area of discipleship. It is. It's an area of discipleship just the same as love or faith or humility. And so we ought to talk about it. We shouldn't skip over chapter 8 and 9 when we get to them. So my prayer for myself, my prayer for, for each of us is, is that we would be both encouraged and challenged by what Paul presents this morning. Encouraged and challenged by, by the example of the Macedonians, encouraged and challenged by the example of Jesus in his life, um, and challenged along with the church in Corinth as well. You know, I, I think generous giving has the potential to be such a source of, of love and, and joy and faith in our lives. And my hope is that we would participate in that, that we would participate in the grace of God in and through our lives and, and discover that love and that joy and that faith that comes along with generous giving. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's close in, in prayer. God, we recognize um, first and foremost uh, this morning that you have, you've blessed us, that we are, we are rich because you have made yourself poor. And God, we may, not, we may not see ourselves as rich all the time. There's always somebody that has more stuff than we have. There's always somebody that has something that we don't have. God, but would you help us to rightly view ourselves as rich? And, and, and not even talking financially here, but, but rich in grace, rich in love, rich in mercy. God, the things that truly do matter, we are rich in. Would you help us to value that so far above any sort of physical possession? We want to be be people that bring honor to you. We want to be people that see your blessings flow through us. And so God, I pray that you would, you would help each one of us, that you'd help me to grow in this area of giving. God, that we would be generous, that we would emulate the gift that you have given to us. Thank you for the, the uh, challenge in these verses. God, help us to, to rightly view the money that you've given to us, whether we think it's a little bit or whether we think it's a lot. Help us to rightly view it and to offer it to you. God, we come to you now and and we give you our praise. God, even even what we're going to do right now, singing songs is is a gift and hopefully a generous gift from us. God, that we 
worship you for who you are, that we worship you for how you work, that we worship you for this, for these great gifts that you've given to us. It's in your precious name that we pray this morning. Amen.